about Bill and the environment of pursuing curiosity. You know who you are, who you really are. Like, <laughs> you are listening to Everyday Educators on 1921 Radio. Everyday Educators, and we educate every day. With that, welcome back, loved ones. Another episode of Everyday Educators. I'm your host, Jeremy, and this is the always beautiful Miss Naomi. What's up, Nay? Hey, what's up? All right. See, I'm loving the brightness this evening. Um, for those of you who are listening, you can catch us every Saturday at 9 a.m. on 1921radio.com. You can also find us on YouTube at Everyday Educators, and don't forget the S. You can also catch us wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, just type in Everyday educators same thing on all of our socials so nay how you feeling today i'm feeling really good i got to leave work early it's a long weekend Mm -hmm. i'm like you know how like you just want to like be in your house sometimes like you don't want to like like dang i gotta go here i gotta go there i gotta do this so i'm like looking forward to having like some time to just chill at home praise be to god I understand that. Um, I'm doing good. Last night I saw an amazing um, Shakespeare play. You know, I love Shakespeare. And uh, we saw a comedy called The Twelfth. Well, the the name of the play is called Twelfth Night. Um, Very interesting. It was an all black cast. They threw in some music in it. Um, Well, mostly black, but it was pretty fly pretty fly and like mad hilarious like it was super funny so is it like shakespearean funny or did they like update it no 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 it's it is so i would say it's real funny so it's old english right but the humor is in the the irony of the situation and in the language right um and so i i think it would be most akin to uh let's say i want to say like some of like the best episodes of the cosby show right was like mm-hmm. the situations they find themselves is is funny and it's witty right it's very witty um so i thought it was dope and like i hadn't read this play prior to and so I was um, able, so like I was still able to like get everything, you know. Mm. Um, and you know I love the Shakespeare Theater because it's like so intimate. This was in their, well, it was their previously their their main theater, um, but it's like their medium sized theater, right? And yeah. so uh, for those of you who who haven't been, like they lay the brick in there. Like everything is designed so it can have uh, like the best acoustics, and so they generally really don't use microphones. Um, yeah, and it's like there's no bad seat in the house. It's it's really good, really really good. I'm uh, so I know. Uh, well, before we move on, again the value I'm hearing myself. I'm hearing that feedback a little bit. Is that better? Let's see. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, cool. So, perfect. Um, And we're back. So, Nay, I know we were kind of discussing offline 
a clip that we saw on Instagram, right? And yes. I thought it would be perfect um, for you as someone who, you know, has a background or a foundation in comms um, and social media to, you know, kind of talk to us regular educators. So what you got for us? So the clip that you shared with me essentially was like, how do we help young people manage social media in an appropriate way? And so one thing that the young lady said was like, when she first got introduced to social media, like she did not know that things could be filtered and uh, she would have appreciated for her teachers to be able to share that with her. Um as I was listening to her, I thought about like when I got introduced to social media and how so many of my teachers at that time were probably like middle aged. So like, I don't, while I appreciate the thought, I don't know, like most teachers, at least from my perspective, aren't like super young. But I think as people are listening to this, I think just if you do a quick Google search on social media like how to filter things, how to talk to students about social, I think it's really important. I mean, back when we used to first started on social, taking it back to tag, I don't know if you could filter things, um, but now you can. And so she was saying like, she saw some really, really um, inappropriate and explicit content and she would have appreciated if teachers were able to guide her better. And so I'm not saying that like you gotta, be a TikTok aficionado, but just reading up on what kids are, what apps they're using um, could be helpful. And then also having a general advice, even if you don't know how to do it, like I don't know how to do everything on Instagram or Facebook or whatever um, the platform of choice is. But if you are aware of like, hey, I do know there's a way to filter that. Let me share an article with you or like, some schools even do for parents um, like a social media night or social media info just so parents are aware of like these are the apps that kids are using. This is some of the stuff that's on there. These are ways for you to filter, for you to check at home. My biggest thing is those phones do not belong to the kids. They belong to the people that pay for them. So we have run into issues where it's like, I don't want to invade their privacy. What like, don't get me wrong. I respect every human being but when you are trying to prepare a person for the world around them and what is to come sometimes you got to be all in there and I know that creates some tension it certainly did in my household but my mom didn't she never really seemed to care <clears throat> so you made a point and that I uh jogged the memory I want to say um like what you were discussing right in the moment had to do with like safety. At least that's what came to my mind. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I have to share <clears throat> between you and all of our millions of listeners. Um, <laughs> I had to be fifth grade and the apartment that we lived in, the computer was in my mother's room. And so I'm on there uh, playing uh, on AOL, playing AOL Spades. And I fell in love with some little girl. I'm putting it in quotes. Who knows? 
Um, I guess I left the chat up one day and my mother saw me telling this <laughs> random person that I love them and all of the type of foolishness. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, I couldn't use a computer for a while. You know, especially like when I did, it was a lot more monitoring. Um, now, things are, uh, you know, less uh policeable right with everyone having their own device and multiple devices and all these kind of things but i think that it is even more prudent you know for parents to you know have some oversight just to you know your point because you know these kids don't know no better they're well-meaning but they could put themselves in danger so Agreed. that's my little spiel you're right mm-hmm. keep going um yeah, so that that was about safety um, and familiarizing yourself with the app. And I, I mean, there are cool ways to use it in the classroom. So um, one of my favorite sites or social media kind of platforms is like Hootsuite. And so Hootsuite has um, a really great blog. And so they have a lot of information about how to take advantage of social media in the classroom and how to engage your students and all types of good stuff. So one thing I don't like to harp on with social media is that is the dangers of it or how awful it can be because it can be really cool. Um, you can meet people, which I'm not promoting that for minors, but it is out there. Um, but you also can learn, like when people talk about how they don't like their timelines, like unfollow those people or mute them or... You know, do whatever you feel like you need to do. I think we should encourage people to kind of fill their timelines with aspirational things. If you want to be a doctor, there's so many doctors that have their own, their practice on social media. Like, want to be a doctor, an attorney, a content creator, like whatever it is, it's out there. And so I just encourage, um, that would be like my one tip for young people, like, there's nothing wrong with social media. I remember an anecdotal story is that when I was in college, I used to tweet almost constantly. And I had a professor that was like, that's no good for you. You never go on do anything or amount to anything. And then not too long after that, I got hired at that same school to be their social media strategist. So like the it's out, it's a thing like it's, and it's not going anywhere. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Before you move on, was that it or you had something else? No, that was it. Okay, so I want to say to your point, right? Um, One thing that I, you know, share with the students that I work with is that fact of how you got to network. Like, that is the key to all success. And, you know, if you are in high school, I know I got my first job at 14, just graduated eighth grade. And so today, that version of me, I would have made a LinkedIn. I would start to developing those professional relationships with folks. Um, Yes, you know, like we said, you have to be vigilant, you know, being safe. But I do think that um, there's so much information that is shared um, and that is out there that is very useful for everybody. Um, but it's important, you know, one thing that they said is it was important to curate your timeline, right? You have yes. to be in, 
you have to be intentional. And so if you fill it up with foolishness um, and things that are not substantive, that's the only thing that you're going to be digesting. And so, um, yeah, well, let's just use it for good. Let's use our superpowers for good. Um, I think that's the the takeaway. Um, And, you know, thank you for highlighting tagged. Just that was uh, fertile, fertile playing grounds in the the young developing mind. (laughs) Yo, do you know tagged is still around? It is still around. I remember I was uh, talking to a young lady and she got a lot of clients she would she would do hair and she got a she got a lot of clients you know on tagged there's also like a dark underwear on there too but whatever but tag is still around and and kicking so shout out to you tag wherever you are the test of time (laughs) man tell me about it um those little stickers man those little stickers meant the word like before emojis there was like tag stickers like you would so when you was feeling, you would like communicate a whole little uh, sub message with those little stickers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know what? That felt so enriching. That's our actual factual, y'all. If you're just listening, it is when we cover uh, some news in the world of education. And I felt like, you know, we gave you a wealth of knowledge with that. So we're going to roll right on in to our next segment. This weekend, um, I went to go watch the new Martin Scorsese movie, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, starring Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, I never disliked Robert De Niro so much as in this movie, so that means he did a great job. I Uh, can't wait to see this movie. I was like, oh. It's long. It's It's long. Three hours and 26 minutes. But you don't feel it. So it's like it has great pacing, great acting, twist turns. Like you are invested in the lives of the people of the Osage Nation. So highly recommend. You should go. Take take uh take Booski. Um so I went to go see the movie, it was great. And then I was reading the paper. This is why reading is important. And I came across an article. Um which inspired the topic of this week. And for those of you who don't know, Educator Spotlight is when we revisit the history of a person or event, or in this case, um, a series of events, right? Um, That impacts the field of education and that being banned books. Yeah, I tried to hook up a soundboard and everything with this platform we're using, y'all. I'm working on it so we can get some buttons to get some sounds. Air horns. Something. <clears throat> but more to come. But anyway, in this article, it talks about a teacher in Oklahoma, which is where the movie takes place, <clears throat> who was fearful to have her students read this book um, that the movie was based off of because it was banned. It was banned in Oklahoma. Um, and it put her teacher's license and her school's accreditation in jeopardy. Wild. Now, Nay. Yes. Do you know of any books that were ever on the banned list? 
Um, yeah. I give you a hint. If you just think of a book, like I was reviewing the list, pretty much every book you could think of has been on there. But give me something. Beloved. Beloved, yes. Unfortunately, they don't have a lot of love for Tony out there in the streets. She was on the list many times. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I have one more because I did. It was one more. Uh, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. Another Tony. Yeah, another Tony piece. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to be misquoted, but a couple of her books on there. So here's some for you people listening out there, um, who that were at at some point, you know, banned. Um, the Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. I know why the caged bird sings by the prophetess Maya Angelou. The color purple by Alice Walker, the 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones, Native Son by my favorite author, Richard Wright, Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin. And so far in 2023, there have been almost 4,000 books that uh, uh, there has been an attempt to ban or restrict them. And that's up from 2,500 last year. So, so they hunt y'all. Um, have you read any of these books? And if you have, like, well, let me start with that. Have you read any of these books? Yes. Which which one of those books, uh, you know, stood out was most impactful to you? Um, I love Native Son. Okay. Um, I know why the Cage Bird sings stands out. And I don't know if we'll talk about this later, but like the content of it and to read it at the age that I did, it was like, ooh. When I talk about it, I think it's I think it's pertinent. So what what like generally a general synopsis of someone who hasn't read it and like when did you read it? How did you like, you know, process it? I know why the cage bird sings is um would you say it's it's an autobio? It it is autobiographical. Yes, it's a lot of her life, you know, uh, dumped in there. Yeah, for sure. Yes, um, and so she went through a lot of stuff. One thing that is probably um that gets talked about often is the abuse that she faced, uh, specifically sexual and not speaking for a very 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 long time um and so when i my mom used to have this rule which my grandparents had for her that you can read what you want so as long as you are reading it's fine so i know like we'll probably talk about some books that uh some people probably would not agree with their kids reading but um the the idea was like you know keep that that love for reading going so when i read it i don't i might have been in middle school so like sixth through eighth grade that range um i read it on my own because i um, am an avid reader and so it was really it was sad like i enjoy i personally enjoy reading because i like other people's experiences and so i like to understand that and so to read that about an, another black girl that grew up in a different time for me in a, a different part of the country um, and hear her 
or like read her experience was um, really impactful. It was very sad. Um, and I was able, I also had a place to talk about it. So I was able to turn to my mom and the rest of my family and like discuss what I was reading. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's the best answer, but that's the one I have in. No, in no, to... that's perfect. Um, yeah, well, this story, um, well, this conversation will continue to revolve. So, but thank you for sharing that. Um, before I continue, I just want to highlight that this information comes from a bunch of different sources. However, there is a great video from a sister by the name of Princess Weeks on YouTube. I think the page is called Storied. Um, that kind of summarizes the general history of banned books, not limited or exclusive to the U.S. Um, that being said, the history of banned books, it does predate America and most modern civilization. Um, you know, I always think about Julius Caesar and his Roman homies strolling into the library of Alexandria in Egypt. If you know the, you know, the uh, history between Egypt and Rome, you know, a lot of tension back there. Burn the place down. So there's a, you know, all that history is gone, right? Um, also, we know that this subject is very complex and it involves questions of censorship, academic freedom, the role of literature and education, among other things. And by no means are we going to end this debate to here, uh, to here. What is that? <laughs> I was trying to say tonight and here to here, but. If you if you know to hear on the Kev on Stage Network, tag him. That's my guy, Midwestern. Um, that being said, sixteen thirty seven is when the first book was banned in North America, and I say that because this predates the 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 formal establishment of the United States. Um, a book called by New English Canaan. Yep, I can read. New English Canaan or New Canaan by Thomas Morton. And yes, that's the title. New English Canaan or New Canaan. That's the full title. Now in this book, uh, Brother Thomas denounced a Puritan government system. And seeing as our forefathers were kind of basing around those Puritan beliefs, they didn't take kindly to his criticism. Now, the first book that was officially banned in the U.S., is one you may have known. Uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harry Beecher Stowe. Have you read that one, day? I have. Oh, see? The classics. Now, this book was banned in many, in many Southern states because it spoke about the abolitionist movement. And some cited as con a contributing factor to the Civil War. Um, now, banning books and censorship they go hand in hand and in colonial America they use these methods early and often so some other books that you may know that were banned uh, the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass have you read that one not in its entirety no okay um, also incidents 
and the life of a slave girl by Harriet Jacobs. I have read that. See, I'm the opposite. I read the first, I've read excerpts of the second. Um, and both were instrumental in exposing the horrors of slavery. And because of that, they were kept out of circulation, particularly in the South. Now, there are three main reasons why books are bad. One, politics. Two, religion. Three, morality. All right. Now, speaking on civil war and morality, this is where you kind of dim the lights. We put we could put like a red filter, getting a little, little sensual in here. Now, Nate, did you know that there was a lot of pornographic material available during the Civil War? I had no idea. Oh, oh yeah. It was getting to it. So uh, this had a lot to do with the expansion of railways and telegraph cables. So information, including literature, was able to reach a much larger audience and more quickly. Now, obviously, some folks didn't didn't like it that everybody was uh, getting rizzed up, as the kids say today. That's like their up. version of the internet. It listen. Like <laughs> a cable wire just sitting here to tell it, like you know, seeing here what Shorty talking about on the other side of town, for sure. So yes, um, a gentleman by the name of Anthony Comstock, and there's a lot of jokes in that. Um, he petitioned Congress to pass the Comstock Law of 1873. Also, I realized like everybody was mad accessible. Like people just like got to Congress. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so in 1873, they passed this law, Comstock Law, which made it illegal to distribute obscene and lewd material via the U.S. mail. Now, this also prohibited the production and publication of abortion and contraception information. Wow. A lot of implications with that. You know, uh, one of his adversaries on the surface um, was the, the woman who uh, created Planned Parenthood. But behind the scenes, it, were, it was a little more alignment on their values. Very interesting. You should look it up. Um, but so one of the biggest ramifications of this was that um, the Comstock law made it illegal to print anatomy information in new textbooks or deliver already printed textbooks with anatomical drawings to medical students because folks was naked and that was uh, against morality I guess isn't it interesting how the more things change, the more they stay the same? Like, I can remember being in middle school and, like, everything being blocked for fear of, on, like, at the, on the school computers for yeah. fear of, like, somebody searching something inappropriate. Or at one point, pop-ups were, like, a really big deal. It's like, oh, no, we don't know what to do with pop-ups. So, like, we block everything. But then when you get a project breast cancer was a, a, a big one at one point and then it's like you can't do the research because everything has been blocked all i'm gonna say is everybody got bodies and at some point you gonna see your body you gonna see somebody else's body 
do with that what you will. Um, but yes, you are one hundred percent correct. I did not go to a Catholic school, and so we had old textbooks. We saw the jokes through the years, next to you know people's body parts, and we laughed, and then we learned. Yeah, there's lots of debates even now about like certain publishers putting out books talking about like body parts and the health of your body and all that stuff. And like, there's a group of people who are in an uproar about it because the thought is that students don't or kids don't need to learn this. They're either too young or like parents only need to deal with that at home. They don't need materials to help them teach their kids about it. So it's like a very interesting like um, spectrum of mm-hmm. perspectives. Um, I will say this is my last thing. Shout out to American Girl. They put out a book about the female body. It was very detailed, um, but also very helpful and very useful. And um, very, although it was graphic, it mm-hmm. was very informational educational it wasn't explicit yeah no but yeah it, it talked about like your body changing and like all those things and it was thick it was like a almost a textbook um but i reflect on that time and think like wow like that was it's necessary yeah so thank you american girl for all that you have given to the community appreciate, appreciate you it. and you can give us a sponsor, you know, 15% off type in everyday educators. Don't forget the ads. Go to America. Okay. No. All right. One day. Um, like you said, aspirational, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Comstock law, right? So this law led to over 4,000 arrests. So people sat in jail. It led to the destru- the destruction of over 15 tons of books and over 4 million pictures which is like one person's Instagram <laughs> all I can think about you know how in Fahrenheit 451 when they just like burn the books when it Listen. says like destruction of books that is the the image that comes to mind that they have like all Yo. these books in a pile <clears throat> and they have burned them all I'm gonna say is Fahrenheit 451 the Book of Eli, uh, Silo, a, a book, uh, a show on Apple TV that I just uh, finished, whatever season they're on. All of them control books. They burn books. They eliminate the, you know, written stories and those, you know, varied narratives. It's not accidental why this keeps coming up. And these dystopian futures. And um, it wasn't Ray Brad- Bradbury, but it was another author who was quoted. A lot of his, not George Orwell either, can't remember. But um, he writes a lot about dystopian futures, right? And so a reporter asked me, like, why do you write about these futures? Like, do you think that's where humankind is going? He said, I'm writing about it so you all don't do it. Mm, bars so before we move on from Comstock on his way out going on to glory he met with a young law student by the name of J. Edgar Hoover excuse me J. Edgar Hoover and we all know what a real sunshine he was 
So uh, many folks believe that this is a constitutional issue, and it is. Um, and this theory was challenged, well, not first, but one of the earlier <clears throat> Supreme Court laws on this came in 1922 when an Irish author by the name of James Joyce, he published a book called Ulysses. Now, Ulysses is a modern take on Odysseus and the hero's journey and the Odyssey. It also illustrates the relationship between Ireland and Britain. Now, James Joyce is known for having rich character development and the use of descriptive language. So you know the U.S. didn't want that to be allowed in our country, given our young folks any ideas, right? Um, so Random House, <clears throat> who was the U.S. publisher of the book, sued the government, the U.S. government, that is, stating that this ban goes against the First Amendment right to free speech. Now, eventually, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of Random House and allowed the book to be circulated in America. Now, would you like to hear what our government was trying to protect us from? I'm almost nervous to say yes, but yes. To say what? Yes, but yes. All right. So when I point at you, I want you to say yes. Because we all know all you got to do is say yes. All right. Open up your mind. See, there you go. They were trying to protect us from all those wonderful lyrics. <clears throat> And now story time with Everyday Educators. <laughs> Excerpt from Ulysses. I was a flower of the mountain. Yes. When I put the rose in my hair like the Andalasian girls used to. Or shall I wear a red? Uh, uh, excuse me. Or shall I wear a red? Yes. And how he kissed me under the Moorish wall and I thought well as well him as another and then I asked him with my eyes did I wink right with my eye okay anyway and I asked him with my eyes to ask again yes and then he asked me would I like to say yes my mountain flower and I put my arms around him Yes. And drew him down to me so I could feel my breasts all perfume. Yes. And his heart was going like mad. And. Yes. I said. Yes. I will. Yes. And that is James Joyce Ulysses. <laughs> Very intense for 1637, right? Agree. Now it's nothing like the coldest winter ever, but you know the that version. That's probably again their version. So <laughs> that probably is their version of the coldest winter ever. Did you read that book? Yes. Oh, see, all right, on brand. When did when did uh when did that book come into your life? Freshman year of high school, and I remember not being able to put it down. Mm -hmm. So like I just had it with me. At all times. Did you like buy it or you got it from somebody? I I want to say that 
my mom bought it, we used Ooh. to like. She must not have read it. Yeah, but again, <laughs> her rule. The rule, the rule. So right, 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 right. We used to go to the. If, if those of us who are Chicagoans, at one point there was a Borders Books in High Park. Oh, that one. And that... So we would mm -hmm. frequent that one often because it was two stories upstairs. They had their like coffee shop. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and they had like chairs and couches all around. So you probably could just read a book there and put it back. Um, so I I remember I would go to that one, but the, the one that was, you know, up at Echelon was in Evergreen Park. And that too had the two stories. It's like across from where the Chipotle is now, like in that open. I'm trying to. <laughs> I should know that one. Listen, that one was like palatial, plush, and like that. Like I, it was mad books that I went in there to buy, and I. Just... Oh yes, I know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. I'm sitting here like, which direction are we thinking about? Right, right, yes, right. Yeah. I think I, it's a doctor's office or something. A, yeah, some kind but of yeah, medical. that one too. Mm -hmm. I would go in there, and it, I would be in there with my like grandfather or something, and I'm like, I'm in a book, and I end up finishing the book, and then I'll buy the like sequel to to read at home. Yeah, so, but yes. Uh, <clears throat> so what you bringing up the coldest one ever? You know, I have to share. Uh, <laughs> when I was in seventh grade, which is a little too young to, you know, having read this book. And if you ever read The Coldest Whenever, then you know what I'm talking about. But it was like, it was like the sisterhood of the traveling pants of like, this is like the first band book because we weren't supposed to have it. I think someone got caught with it. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But like, we, we weren't supposed to be reading this. <clears throat> particularly from the first page, I was like, oh, Lord. But it would be passed from person to person. And like, by the time I got it, it was no front or back. It just had like the glue binding on the pages. But like, man, I flew through that book in like a day or two. It was, it was a... Uh... Quite the adventure. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you haven't read it, <laughs> you know, enjoy your weekend and pick it up. You'll you'll have a good time. <laughs> Not only did I read that, I read the one about the dad's bodyguard, Midnight. Mm. That okay. one was very good. And then there was a sequel to it that wasn't as good, but the Midnight um, book by Sister Soldiers also. I remember that I bought the prequel that came out a couple years ago. I, I haven't read that. it yet. I wasn't I, maybe I should give it another chance, but at the time yeah. I was like, this isn't what I'm used to. And maybe I, uh, again, I didn't give it enough of a chance to get the context. So I don't, I'm not sure, I but I, what I'm thinking in the moment, um, I can't go into it with the same expectations I had when I was 12. That's true. Like, That's true. <laughs> Cause if I read the code is whenever today, it'd be like, okay. I, you know, it wouldn't be as like, whoa! Like if you listen to City Girls, you could you could get through the codes whenever. Collab, you heard it here first on Everyday Educators. Um, so yeah, there we go with the kind of tangent on that. Um, 
Now, the practice of banning books has even hit our home state here in Illinois. So the first case occurs. Now, when do you think the first like major case of banning books happened here in, in, in Illinois? Uh, 1920. Okay, not too far off. 1953, when a young woman rented a book called The Boy Came Back by Charles H. Knickerbocker. Now, fun fact, libraries as a you know, we know them today as a standalone buildings were not the standard back then. And so people like this young lady would rent books from the state library system um, that was distributed through buildings such as high schools. Who knew? Now, this high school's mom saw which book that she was reading and she wasn't feeling it. So she told the sheriff and then the governor, again, the 50s people can just pull up on a governor, I guess, um, and let them know that this book had to be taken out of circulation. Mom says of the book, quote, the book would lower the morality of American boys and girls. It is vulgar, obscene, and has profane language to lower the respect and sanctity of our institution of marriage. <clears throat> she then added, the book was, quote unquote, communistic in purpose. Now, in the age of McCarthyism and the Cold War, these were the magic words that compelled them to remove the book from circulation. Now, another fun fact two for the price of one at the same time miles away in indiana there was another book that was banned because it was too well because it had a communistic influence now the name of that book is <laughs> robin hood really and if you know anything about robin hood it wasn't no communism when that was written so there you go now throughout this um these cases and many others, right? There was an argument because these books were all quote unquote obscene. Now, Nate, what does the term obscene mean? Doesn't it mean like <clears throat> sexually lewd and explicit or, or something of that nature? Exactly. In 2023, to stir rizzing, <laughs> um, tending to stir the sexual impulses or lead to sexually impure and lustful thoughts. Now, if we fast forward to today, the American Library Association in 2022 saw more attempts to have books removed from schools and public libraries than any prior year in this century. And most of those uh, address themes of LGBTQ+, identity, and gender expression. Now, as charged as this topic can get, it's not all doom and gloom. So the American Library Association is shedding light on these books to combat the silencing of the voices, stories, and perspectives. For more than 40 years, this event has been going on, and you can share with me if you've heard of it. And that is 
Bam Books Week. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Yeah. So Bam Book Week is when folks come together to celebrate books and to fight censorship. And has brought together the entire book community with the exception of you and I. Uh, librarians, teachers, booksellers, publishers, writers, and journalists all participate in this event. And essentially, it's just when they celebrate all the books that people was hating on um, and like highlight those, you know, put an I emphasis if, on them. If that Man. is like a secret goal, like your book made it to the band list and like, you done got people angry and now people aren't talking about it. So part of, so one thing that, that comes up when you like kind of research and all that type of stuff, uh, impact is that what you just say is called the Streisand effect. I don't know if it's named at the Barbara Streisand. I don't know, but it is like publishing that it is banned makes people want to go like, Oh, what what's banned? Mm -hmm. what, why, why can't we read this? You know, um, which was big in the uh like the mccarthyism so all of our harlem renaissance writers mm -hmm. like got they became like the underground and they would sit in the little jazz clubs and talk about the new richard wright the new james baldwin you know what was hidden on so yeah um Ban book week this year 2023 was celebrated August, october 1st through 7th. Um, so again, like I said, we missed it. And the theme of this year was Let Freedom Read. A little play on words. Mm -hmm. I see what you did there. I see what you did. Now, the question that I wanted to ask you, given all that um, we talked about on this topic, and again, this is not comprehensive. This is just, you know, a brief overview of the history of banned books. So my question is, is there any validity to banning or limiting access to a book? This is very hard. Um, That's why I asked you. Only, only you can prevent force. I mean, only you can <laughs> speak on this subject. <laughs> wow. I mean, I... People have the right to decide what content their their children take in in their homes under their roofs. I think when it comes to schools, I don't personally remember um, like having to come home with like a book list and my mom having to sign off on it. Um, I I think if you are really clear about the type of school that you put your children in that will probably um lean one way or another as to like what they will be reading and uh what's appropriate for them um but i also think that every story is someone's story and my the example that i have to share is the movie precious which I only saw one time because um, it's a lot if you haven't seen it. But I, I was obviously in the movie theater and there's a scene where Precious is running down the street with a bucket of chicken that she stole. And I just remember like my heart breaking like every single stereotype. She is a heavy set, dark skin, 
a young woman that lives in a high knee area. She is abused. She has no money. And then she has stolen this bucket of chicken. And then I just remember like, this is somebody's story. Somebody will look at this and relate to it. And I feel like everybody deserves that. Um, so it is difficult to say if there's validity in it in the sense of like, I don't really think that's fair. Like you should take away someone's story. Is is there validity in like your personal life of like, I don't want my family or my community or whatever, the people who I'm responsible for, I guess, to take in this content now or maybe ever. Um, I think there is something to for that. If that, I know that's a, a very long answer. No, 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 no. I, 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 this isn't a topic for you know short answers. So uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I had something else prepared, but you you spoke to something that like triggered something in me. I remember, like, so coming up, my favorite author was Walter Dean Myers. And I remember the first book that I read of his was Scorpions. And I might be in fifth grade, right? And essentially, as a young guy who's, you know, in some city, right? Some urban city, whose brother is the head of a gang. He goes to prison. And now the little brother, who was in middle school or something, is now the head of the gang and like managing that. And, like, I remember that because, you know, gang culture is big in Chicago. And, like, that helped me to begin to understand. I'm not saying, like, when I got to high school, I'm like, ah, now I know how to manage a gang. But (laughs) these were things that I was able to, these were concepts that someone may not have brought to me. Right. Mm -hmm. But like my own intellectual curiosity, like brought me to it. And then Mm -hmm. I was able to like process that. Right. And I think, I think part of that is like how you said earlier, having places like safe spaces to talk these things through, you know, with folks who have a little more discernment, you know, um, than I had. And so now when I was faced with gangs myself, it wasn't like a foreign concept that I didn't even know how to begin a process, you know? Um, Okay, good. So, um, we talked about a lot, and especially in in our last, you know, the segment. So my last question on this, when you look at like under all the considerations of book banning, right? Uh, um, I feel like it kind of comes down to uh, organizational values and like protecting students. Yes. Right? And so the question, you know, the loaded question I have for you, (laughs) is it possible to balance protecting students and organizational values without silencing students and abandoning those organization values. Your thoughts. Can you say it once more? For sure. Please. For the people in the back. Is it possible to balance column A, protecting students and org values, right? And then column B, 
silencing students and abandoning said values. I can would you, can say, you balance both? Yes, but I will also argue this is where parents come in because while an organization may not, for whatever reason, want to touch on um, certain types of content, you can certainly provide the resources if those parent, if there are parents that want to read those books or want to have those discussions in their home. So you might be like, hey, we're not going to read um, The Bluest Eye at school, but here's a list of Toni Morrison books. Here's a list of interviews. Like if this is content that you want to discuss at home, um, here are the resources. Um, and I think vice versa, that's where like the, the community partnership comes in. And I know everybody, it's not, we have a lot going on and we are not parents, even though like we work in schools, um, but parental influence on the school as well. So like being able to say like, Hey, I read these books at this age, or this is what we are discussing in our home. Here are some links and resources. And then it's up to the school if they want to share that information. But like being involved um, in that way, I think is really important. And like reading with your kids is top tier. And um, even as they get older, you may not sit next to them and make them read out loud, but like reading the same book or reading a book before them, if they have interest in like, oh, let me check it out. And then like, kind of browsing through it to see like is this stuff you want them to read or like is it not it's like hey i'm let's not touch on these topics until you get to high school or whatever the case may be um i think it's very important for for there to be that exchange between um the family and the the kids school i think that's a great 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 point um many of those points but yes, read with your children. Read with your children. Nay, you and I read books together, and like just having someone to bounce those off with. Um, I can't wait to, you know, have my own little book club in my crib with my shorties. You know, running through some uh, Shel Silverstein, you know, poetry okay. where the sidewalk I ends. <laughs> love Shell and I love you talked about Walter D. Myers. I was obsessed with Mildred D. Taylor. Ah, another obsessed, one. Like truly obsessed. And she wrote about a girl named Cassie who was like 10 years old in the South in the 30s. Mm. And she was black. And so her experience um was very different from mine. I think she was one of four, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. like I just felt like Mildred, wherever you are, hopefully you're still Earthside. Like what she did in those books to me was just like phenomenal. Like, the way she illustrated a young girl's life and made it um, a way for like a girl that's like in the early 2000s that was the same age to be able to connect. Yeah. That age. So yeah. shout out to you, Mildred. You won 10 in the early 2000s, but yeah, I feel you. I was 10 in 99, if you have to be so specific. <laughs> and so were you. Look, I know, we, you know, something that don't get talked about enough. Oh, at all, I have heard it. When you outgrow your favorite author, 
Like I remember. Mm, that's another episode. We can't. We can't. <laughs> I re- I just got. I remember when I went back to watch Dean Myers, and I was just like, "This is not hitting to say." I was like, "Ugh." Now you're gonna make me go and read. Uh, now, and let me my cry. <laughs> you know what? I still don't understand why you like that book, but that's where we that's where we diverge. But had it not been for that, I wouldn't found Richard Wright. Cause then I went on a journey because I needed a new author to kind of like, you know, uh, nurture me where I was. But all right, like you said, another episode. Um, <clears throat> so my final thoughts. Um, again, balancing students, orgs, all that stuff, is that both people and organizations are organic creatures, right? And so they grow and they change shape all the time. And so our policies and our practices must always be updated, which means they have to be challenged, right? We have to rub up against the edges, you know, where our old boundaries, old boundaries were to see if they're still serving us. Um, because things that our children are going to deal with may not be topics, you know, internet safety wasn't a thing, filtering and all that for our parents. And then cyberbullying wasn't a thing for us. And, you know, so as, as we grow, as society grows in shape and, you know, kids, just are more awesome and and are doing more sooner. Like we need to kind of update these things and we're going to need books, right. And stories that reflect that to kind of help them process just like the ones um, that we read. But I also want to be very clear in saying this just so we don't get nothing twisted about where I stand, you know, up here that erasure is a real threat to educational reform. And it is particularly in impacted against marginalized communities. And so we got to participate in Bam Books Week. We got to know what stories they don't want us to see out there. But we also got to protect ourselves and protect our loved ones. And that's what it is. So any final thoughts, Nate? I do too. I think it's fly. Um, until next time, loved ones, please keep teaching, keep learning, and keep loving y'all. Peace.